Zechariah, if you'll turn there, chapter 12. Now, there's Zephaniah and there's Zechariah. So we're in the long one. We're in Zechariah. It's 14 chapters. So purposely, I skipped Zephaniah. uh, And we've combined two books um, in in one study this um, uh, week or two. Well, last week, actually, we've done it twice. And so we're going to do two again, um, Lord willing, next week. So we'll be in Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H, Zephaniah next week, Lord willing, uh, with uh, Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. And then, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll start New Testament, start Matthew. So, um, but right now, we'll go through uh, Zechariah tonight and look at, um, look at that book and see um, some interesting things in there, some difficult things in there. Of all the um, Old Testament books, this is probably the hardest one, uh, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, and studied because... Um, there are a lot of things in there that have to do not only with present or their, their present tense at the time in, in Israel, but also there's a prophecy. Now, what we know for sure in prophecy, that's what I'm going to bring out tonight and look at. So there are 14 chapters. It's longer than the others that we've looked at except for Hosea. It was also a 14-chapter book. Um, but this is a 14-chapter book. It's long in, in that sense. Um, and so... The, it's difficult to outline compared to some of the others, but we're going to try to look at an outline of it and maybe stop and look at a few places uh, along the way until we get to some of the main uh, highlights, main things we want to uh, look at and highlight tonight. The, the main phrase in there is, that fra- is the phrase, that day. And we've talked about when it comes to prophecy, uh, future prophecy, that day is referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see uh, that is the theme, and we're going to spend more time looking at passages from Zechariah about the Lord's return and about prophecy in the future. Fourteen chapters to it, and uh, as we study this tonight, we look roughly at the date of about 520 to 487 B.C., and we want to start looking in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to put, uh, put it together with these other two passages. So go with me to, um, to Zechariah, and then we're going to back up to the book of Haggai, which is where we were uh, last week. And look at Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1, then we're going to back up to, to Haggai. That should say 1-1 one, one also, I believe. But look at 1-1 one, one in Zechariah. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. Now, Darius or Darius is probably the way it uh, is pronounced. It's the way I normally pronounce it. But uh, he was, remember, he was a king of Babylon. And remember when Daniel went into captivity, Daniel chapter 1, Darius or Darius is a king. Uh, then, then later it's uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but Darius is a king there in, um, in um, uh, the book of Daniel. Excuse me, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, then, then Darius. But anyway, Darius is a king, a king in, during the time of Daniel's uh, ministry. And so the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying. Now let's back up to Haggai. And uh, let's look at chapter 1 and verse 1 of Haggai. I didn't put the reference, but it's the same 1-1. One, one. We're going to go there. Haggai 1-1. One, one. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Now this Joshua is not the Joshua of the book of Joshua, 
Joshua was a common name in the day. In fact, Joshua is actually the Hebrew name in the Old Testament that's the same as Jesus in the New Testament. It's the same name. Uh, Jehovah saves. God is salvation. And so uh, it was a common name. So it's not the same Joshua. But back up with me to Ezra. Go back past Psalms and go to Ezra chapter 5. So the book of, as we looked at Haggai last week and this week Zechariah, uh, those books were written... Uh, when um, Judah had been in captivity to Babylon, and they were uh, many of them were on their way back to Jerusalem. So let's time together. Look at chapter five of Ezra, Ezra chapter five, verse one and verse two. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. So they're named here, and it ties them in together. Um, with uh, the book of Ezra and that time frame. Uh, Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, which is Joshua, the son of Jozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. So that gives us the time frame that Zechariah ministered, uh, and, or at least the start of it here. Some of this, as we get towards the end of the book, it's later years. But as he started here was when they indeed began to come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. So that gives us the time frame. And that's why it's closer uh, to the, the last book. The last book, um, uh, Malachi, is roughly somewhere about four, maybe 420 to 400 roughly B.C. because those years from the book of Malachi to Matthew are called the silent years where nothing, no scripture was written, uh, nothing that was recorded in scripture, no scripture was written. So you had those 400 silent years. And so Zechariah's ministry is not long before that within, you know, uh, just a handful of years anywhere from 100 to a little less years, um, 120 to less years of, um, of that time frame. So it, Zechariah is either quoted or referred to, a lot of times he's just referred to, but a handful of times we'll look at tonight, quoted or referred to over 30 times in the New Testament. To be a 14-chapter book from the Old Testament, when you've got a book like Psalms, 150, uh, and you know some of the others, that's a lot of quotes from just one prophet. But we'll find out why tonight, and it'll, it'll, it'll get kind of interesting for us. So in chapter 1, verse 1 to 6, there's an introduction and a warning. It introduces who the author, or who the writer of the book, the prophet Zechariah, it introduces him, and it gives a warning to, uh, to uh, Judah. So remember, they've come back from captivity, and now they've got a chance to start things all over, uh, those who came back. Uh, there's a remnant of them. Not everybody came back from either Israel as they left Assyria or Judah as they left Babylon to go back to Judah. Not everybody went back. A lot of them scattered among the lands. And so when we get to the New Testament, uh, in, a, in a few weeks when we look at Acts, we'll see how people that were scattered in other places come back to Jerusalem for uh, the feasts. And that, makes, uh, that helps us to understand it makes sense why on the day of Pentecost, people that were there from all over the place, yet they spoke uh, the languages they came from, yet they were Jewish because they came back to observe the feast. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. just want you to understand and see that Zechariah is prophesying to a remnant of people that came back. Not everybody came back, but to a remnant who did. So it was an introduction, a warning to them. Now that they're back in the land, God wants them to remember, look, you went into captivity because of idols, because of the heathen, because of the other nations, and you don't want to go back into that trap again. So 
he gives some, uh, there's some visions that he sees of some strange things. We'll not read all of this for time's sake. We just can't do it. And um, to be honest with you, I was telling Sharon before we left, I said, I'll, I'll be honest, Zechariah is just one of the hardest books for me to understand. There's some really hard things. I know if you study it and um, maybe get helps and stuff to, to help you see some stuff. But even with some of the helps I've got, there's some things that are just really hard to understand. But as you do, or supposed to do, we compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture is its own best commentary, and we'll do what we can with some things tonight to understand it. But some of them still, I'm scratching my head. Look at verse 7, chapter 1. Upon the 4 and 20th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Sebat, so that would be uh, roughly our um, January to February, something somewhere in there. Uh, month of Seba, in the second year of Darius, or Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. He stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behold, there were red horses speckled in white. I just, I, I, I really admit, a, you know, I don't really completely understand everything about these horses, but I do know, as he asked them in, in verse 9, then said, O Lord, what are these? And the angel talked with me and said, I will show thee what these be. And the man stood among the myrtle trees and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So um, apparently there is a, um, here as you see this, these uh, are sent to look over the earth, and apparently it's not only present, but it will also be repeated to some degree uh, during the time of the tribulation. And so there's the vision that he sees of the four riders on horses. Go to chapter 1 and verse uh, 18. Chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said, and the angel talked to me, what, did, what, um, what be these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In Scripture, a horn is usually a symbol of authority. And if you remember, uh, well, we, we have to go over it quickly, of course, when we get into the detail. But Daniel mentions uh, a creature, you know, with, with horns. And so, um, most likely, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, these four horns are the four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw when he had the vision in chapter uh, 2, and Daniel interpreted the vision. It turned out to be the empires of uh, Babylon, in which at that time that Daniel uh, prophesied, they were in captivity to Babylon. Then after Babylon's, um, there was uh, Medo-Persia was the next kingdom, that was um, also in the book of Daniel. Then later on, uh, after the Old Testament is fulfilled or, or finished, excuse me, after it's, it's completed, Greece is the next world power. And then Rome, who was in power when Jesus was born and during his life and ministry. So the four horns here, uh, we don't have time to go into it, but if you make notes or something, if you want to go look back and look at Daniel 2, those are most likely those four kingdoms, that um, world powers. Okay, uh, then there are these four carpenters, chapter tw uh, one also. It's very short, just two verses. Uh, verse 20, and the Lord showed me four carpenters. And I said, what come these to do? And he spake, saying, these uh, are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them to cast the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. So in other words, uh, it's to bring, um, bring judgment to each of those four kingdoms. And so um, those are the four carpenters uh, over those, uh, that, that come in to take over those four kingdoms. So that's some history there. Um, basically, it's, it's what those are talking about. Chapter 2, there's a man with a measuring line it's, it speaks of. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes again, and behold, beho um, 
looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, verse 2, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me to measure Jerusalem, and to see what is the breadth thereof and the length thereof. So he goes to measure um, the city of Jerusalem. And so, um, as, you, as you know, whenever, um, when, whenever the um, uh, tribulation begins, at some point the temple will be built. And Revelation 11 speaks of that, um, of that measuring for the temple. And then also we know that after Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom, the uh, Israel will get not just the land they have now, but they'll have their real land grant that he gave to Abraham. So um, from what I can see and study here, the, the measuring line applies to Jerusalem and its, and its size, uh, its, its um, acreage, you might want to use that word. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 10 is about a high priest named Joshua. We saw his name a moment ago. And he's accused by the enemy. He's accused by Satan. Just look at a couple of verses here. Um, Verse 1, chapter 3, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? In other words, see, Jerusalem now, they had come, you know, many of them came back from the from being in captivity, and he's saying, look, it's a brand plucked from the fire. And literally, because remember, the city was burned. Everything was destroyed. So they come back and rebuild the city under Nehemiah. All right, verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. So the picture of the actual changing garments, it was a literal changing of garments, but it symbolized and it pictured the, the relationship God now had, had back now with, the, with Judah, that now they're back in the land. All right? Uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, is a lampstand and two olive trees. Um, verse 1, the angel that chapter 4 talked with me came again and waked me as a man is waking out of his sleep. And he said to me, what seest thou? And I said, I've looked and behold a candlestick of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and seven lamps thereon, the seven pipes to the lamps which are upon the top thereof. So it's very similar to the candlestick that's found in the temple, or the tabernacle of the temple. It's a seven-pronged candle. It would, it would have seven lights to the top of it. And, and as a candlestick, uh, they burn oil at the top of each of those uh, seven. And so it describes that there. And when you read through there, it's speaking of two, that, uh, two olive trees. And um, that, uh, look at verse 11. Then I answered and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side? Verse 12. And then I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And then said, I know, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So at the time, there could have been two particular uh, that, that the Lord's talking about at that very time. But very likely this also, I didn't write the reference on there and I apologize, but this also probably ties in Revelation 11 with the two witnesses that are sent in the tribulation. All right. I know this is a lot. I know, but we've got to cover this so we can get to the other stuff. So uh, chapter five, verse one to four, a scroll. Then I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a flying roll. And he, he said unto me, the Lord said, what seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. That's a good answer. That's the right answer, isn't it? That's all he could say. The length thereof is 20 cubits and the breadth 10 cubits. 
And then he says, this verse 3, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off on, uh, on this side according to it. Everyone that sweareth shall be cut off on that side according to it. So this flying roll flew, is to fly over, was to fly over Jerusalem there. In other words, it pointed out those who uh, stole or those who uh, swore. And so it was sent for a purpose. So he answered the question right. I see a flying roll. So there's no other way to describe it as far as, far as its looks or what it is, but that was what it sent out to do according to those verses, a flying roll or scroll. Uh, I put that on there twice. 5 verse 5 through 11, there's a woman and an ephaph. An ephaph is a dry measure. Um, verse 5, the angel that talked with me went forth and said, Lift out thine eyes. And see what this is that goeth forth. And he said, what, uh, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. And he said, moreover, this is resemblance to all the earth. And behold, verse 7, there was a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. Verse 8, he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah and cast a weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. So an ephah is about, it's a dry measure. And it's about 35 bushels. And depending on what the bushels are, um, you know, how, how, what kind of density there is of it, there, it roughly anywhere from uh, 70 to 80 pounds. And so um, he says this ephah uh, basically is a 70 or 80 pound, it's, it's 35 bushels. And he mentions a talent of lead. And he said the woman was in there and called it wickedness. And you read on down through there, it's, it's a symbol of false uh, doctrine that was going on. And, um, Later on in the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, among one of the churches, uh, you let that woman Jezebel teach. And so uh, the false doctrine that came, uh, came through a woman. Sorry, women, but that's, that's what he used to point that out. Sorry, ladies, but that's what he pointed out with. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 8, he mentions four chariots. And he says, um, and, and he gives with each of these chariots, there's a horse rider. We saw the horses, the red horses, remember? These are different, or at least... Three of them are. Chapter 6, let's read a few verses. Verse 1, I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots out between the two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. In the first chariot were red horses, and the second black horses, and the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses. Verse 4, the angels, uh, I answered and said, and the angel talked to me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered, these are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from the standing before the Lord of all the, of the whole earth, of all the earth. So these are in the spirit realm uh, from, you know, and so they're, they're uh, seen as these horses. If you remember back when um, Elijah was taken up and, and Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken up, raptured, if you want to use that word, is a, is a right word to use, to be taken up in, those, in the chariot, remember? We caught up in the chariot of, uh, into the clouds, the chariot of fire. There were horses. There was a horse, horses mentioned. So these are apparently spiritual beings uh, we can't see them with our eyes, but they're described here um, as spiritual beings, and that's all I can really tell you that I know about them. Um, chapter 6, verse 9 to 15, there's the crowning of Joshua, and this is, again, Joshua the high priest. The word of the Lord came to me saying, uh, take of them the captivity, and he mentions some of the guys that come with him. Uh, verse 11, take silver and gold, make crowns, and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So as a high priest, Joshua, who's getting literally crowned here, is also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will one day come back crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. So 
As I said, there are a lot of things that you can, you know, you can get in there and dig deep with them and, and have a good time, but some of this stuff is just way, uh, way over my head. Um, I mean, you study it and you see what it says, but um, as far as other references, some of it's way, way out there. So, but anyway, um, those are the visions that he sees in those chapters. Then it changes gears. Chapter 7 and 8, he talks to Israel about their fasting. You know, there were certain times that they would fast uh, as God's people. And so basically he tells them as they come back to the land, um, come back to Jerusalem, uh, and they have their times of fasting. They're to, you know, they're to, to search their hearts. They're to look at the Lord in truth and, and search their hearts as to why their motives for fasting. Then the next uh, chapters, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, these six chapters are really where we're going to spend some time looking at references tonight. And these, are, these chapters are about the first and second coming of Jesus. Uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11, for the most part, deal with uh, Jesus' first coming. And there are some references in there uh, to His second coming, but especially 12, 13, and 14, um, talk about his second advent or his second coming. So the word advent just simply means first or second coming of Jesus Christ. You look, if you look on your calendar December, you'll see down around Christmas time uh, or in December where it begins the, the time of uh, advent. That's what, 20-something days or whatever. Advent simply means his first coming, his birth. Second advent is the same. It means second coming, the second time that he comes back. So uh, the first advent Chapters 9 through 11 records a great deal of that. So we will take some time to see that because I think you'll find that uh, rather interesting tonight. Chapter 3, verse 8, um, and it's also found in chapter 6, verse 12. We see the branch there, and it's referring to Jesus. And Isaiah 11, 1, and I believe if I have my reference right, Isaiah 4, 2 also speaks of the branch. And as we'll see at the end here when we look at Find, as we look at Jesus in the book of Zechariah, it's a reference um, ultimately to him. He is the branch, all right? So uh, let's look at some other things and spend a little time. Um, on the left are the Zechariah references. I didn't write Zechariah for space, and there's no need to since, uh, since that's the book we're in. We'll look at a couple of these. Now, this is about Jesus. Again, these chapters are about Jesus' first coming, first advent. So look with me at chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Zion, of course, is the mountain there in Jerusalem. Uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Hold your place, or mark Zechariah with your ribbon or bulletin or something, because we'll certainly be back there. Go with me to Matthew chapter uh, 21 and verse 5. So this is a fulfillment here um, on the day of what we call Palm Sunday. When Jesus comes through the Sunday before he's crucified, there's um, uh, what we call Palm Sunday where they wave the palm branches and cry out, Hosanna. Uh, Matthew 21, start at verse uh, 1, then we'll read down to verse 5. I put 5, but let's start at verse 1. And when he draw new, uh, nigh, excuse me, unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, that's, that's Bethany area right there um, close to um, Jerusalem, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Now, it just says the prophet here, but we know it's Zechariah. Look what it says, verse 5. Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, and a colt, the foal of an ass. So he's riding one, and the other is just stringing along next to him as a colt. Just exactly as Zechariah 9, verse 9 prophesied, it was fulfilled. So uh, this is uh, one of the many prophecies in the Old Testament that has been fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. So as I said, 9, 10, 11 are about his first advent. And so we saw that in 9, 9 and how it was fulfilled. So uh, hold your place. In fact, if you want to hold Matthew, that's where we're coming back. But back in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Um, so this happens um, that next week after Palm Sunday, actually. Uh, look at verse 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price, that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Hold your place. You go to Matthew 27. That is a prophecy of the betrayal of Judas and uh, how he betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders. Matthew 27, verse 9 and verse 10. Um, actually, uh, let, let's look at this whole thing in context. Pick up at verse 1. Let's read from verse 1 on. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him... They led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, when you read back in chapter 26, you'll see where he um, brought the, the 30 pieces to them. Now he's changing his mind about this, but it's too late. Verse 4, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. In other words, too late. You made your deal and, you know, what you do with your money is your, whatever you want to do with it. Verse 5. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, this is so, this is just so, it's almost funny, but it's sad. It is not lawful for us to put in the treasure because it's a price of blood. They took it in the first place because Judas was selling Jesus out. Made the crooked deal with them, but they can't put in the treasury because that's the price of blood. It's, it's almost funny if it wasn't so sad. Verse 7, they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. There's that potter. See, you saw that potter in Zechariah. They bought a potter's field. These guys did this. They had no clue they were fulfilling Zechariah. Not one clue about it. I wondered why that potter, you know, that that's where it comes together. And it makes sense when you see that. Verse 7. And they took counsel and brought with them the pot, uh, bought with them potter fields. Verse 7. And the field that was called the field of blood until this day. Then was, pro uh, that's because it was, you know, a man's blood, the price of a man's blood. Verse 9. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Now here, uh, some of the commentators will say, well, there's a, con there's a contradiction. Look at, look at it real close. Look what it says. Spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah didn't write that. Zechariah wrote it. Jeremiah spoke it. So there's a difference. So there's no contradiction. 
Jeremy the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me, verse 10. So there is a fulfillment right there of those 30 pieces of silver. This is interesting, and I think I might have heard this a long time ago, but Chad brought it out in such a great way Sunday morning Sunday school. What he was doing is he was talking, he's talking about Jesus in the book of Genesis and how he's seen and pictured. Well, he's picturing the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and he mentioned the 20 pieces that Joseph was sold for. Well, the reason being is because if someone was sold um, at a certain age range, and Joseph fit that 20-year-old range was a range for 20 pieces of silver. It was like from teen through 20 or mid-20s. So the number of, of the prices of silver that his brother sold him for was later on in the law, it's seen as being the price of, a, of, of, a, of, of his age range. But 30 pieces was the price, no matter how old, no matter who it was, it was the price of a slave. And Chad brought this out and did a great job with it. So basically, these religious leaders saw Jesus as nothing but a slave. What could have been lower in their eyes than a slave? That's how they saw him, and they sold him. Judas made that deal with them for 30 pieces of silver. Isn't that something? just fulfills the Old Testament um, law. I wish I had that. I think it's Leviticus something. I wish I had that verse with me. I didn't think to write that down uh, before tonight. But anyway, fulfilled that. Jeremiah, it says he spoke it, but Zechariah is one that, that prophesied it, that wrote it. Chapter 12, this is interesting. Back to chapter 12, verse number 10. So a lot of times in prophecy, and this is going to be one of the cases tonight. This is just so neat when you study the Word. It's so neat to see these things. A lot of times in prophecy, there's a double fulfillment of the same passage. And we're going to see that here. Look at chapter 12, verse 10 of Zechariah. And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. Here we go. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Well, only son and firstborn, of course, is, the Lord, is, is, is Mary, mother of the Lord Jesus. But it says they'll look on him whom they pierced. They'll mourn for him. Look at John 19. John chapter 19 and verse number 34 down to 37. Remember, it says they'll look on him whom they pierced. 1934. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. Look on him whom they pierced. And forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that, uh, knoweth that he saith true, then you, that you might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be uh, fulfilled. A bone shall not be broken. That's found over in the book of Psalms, verse 37. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And that's exactly what Zechariah said uh, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they crucified him there in Jerusalem. They looked on him who they pierced. But go with me to Revelation 1. Revelation 1. Uh, first chapter in Revelation where, where uh, John is writing and kind of introduces um, that this is uh, from Jesus to, to uh, give the things that are to come, to tell the things that are to come. And he says in Revelation 1 verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Okay, so that's a prophecy of the second coming, the second advent. He cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindred there shall well because of him, even so, amen. 
double fulfillment. Fulfilled on the cross when they were actually doing the piercing. And then when he comes back second time, all will see him and those which pierced him um, will see him. That is those that uh, um, did the piercing and their descendants will also see him. So there's a double fulfillment of Zechariah 12 verse 10. Again, those last six chapters are about prophecy. Uh, Matthew 13, or excuse me, Zechariah 13 and verse number 7. Now, even though this is in those uh, last couple of chapters about the second coming, this also has to do with the first coming. Chapter 13, verse number 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against him that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and will turn my hand upon the little ones. And so when Jesus is about to be crucified, um, or actually uh, on the cross here, I guess, in Matthew 27, verse 31, um, it's actually it's right before they put him on the cross. Then saith Jesus to them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. That's the night they were together and praying before he was taken the next day to be crucified. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So, uh, he said, it is written, and of course he's quoting uh, from, from Zechariah there. All right? Look at another. This is interesting. Go back to chapter 11. Chapter 11. It gets a little deep tonight, but this is some prophecy stuff, and most of it's future, from here on at least. Chapter 11, verse 17. Um, actually, pack up verse 15. We're going to read through 17, which is the end of that chapter 11. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. So what's this foolish shepherd like? Verse 16. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that is broken, nor feed that standeth still, but he shall be, eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. In other words, instead of doing what a shepherd's supposed to do, he's going to do the opposite of what a shepherd should do. Verse 17. Woe to the I-D-O-L. Woe to the idle shepherd, not I-D-L-E. There's a difference. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. This is a prophecy of the Antichrist. And so we're going to go to Revelation chapter 13 now. And what we don't see in Revelation, you go into Zechariah and it gives details. What a book. There is no other book put together like this on planet Earth, folks. This is just an incredible book, isn't it? Revelation 13. Revelation 13. We're going to skip around because it, it kind of skips around about the uh, Antichrist in here. He's also called the Beast. 13.3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded. This is speaking of the Beast of the Antichrist that rises up out of the sea. Verse 1. One of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. His head was wounded. Well, Zechariah tells us that the sword will be upon his arm and his right eye. Your eyes on your head, right? In your head, right? So there will be someone who attempts to assassinate the Antichrist, and they'll get him on the eye, and they'll get him on his right arm. How do we know that? Because Zechariah tells us that. Isn't that something? That's just, that's amazing. Chapter three, uh, 13 of Revelation, verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and faith of the saints. So in other words, um, you know, defend yourself. 
but you know, if you go and, and if you go on the offensive, then be careful because it will come back on you here. And so that's what the Antichrist does. He destroys many. And so someone came back and tried to assassinate him. Verse um, 12. And he exercises, this is talking about the... Um, the false prophet talking about him and his relationship to the Antichrist. He exercises all the prophet of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the beast whose deadly wound was healed. The wound he got to his eye and his arm that Zechariah tells us about and the head, it says in Revelation 13, 3, skip down to 12 uh, or skip it to 14. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying, to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image. There's your I-D-O-L, idol. Make an image to the beast which had a wound by the sword and did live. So the idol shepherd is the Antichrist whom they're going to make an image to him. That's just an amazing book, isn't it? This is just an incredible book. And so uh, he, he speaks to the idol shepherd, the Antichrist, in Zechariah 11. All right. Uh, I wanted to have time for these. We're going to have to because it's going to take some time. Go with me to uh, chapter 13, if you will, Zechariah. It gets deep. It gets deep. Verse um, 8 and 9. Uh, and it shall come to pass in the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but a third shall be left therein. So at the, by the time the tribulation is over, two-thirds of Israel will be destroyed, either by the Antichrist uh, or most likely by the Antichrist, and they'll be destroyed. Many of them will die, as, as we know, some of them that take uh, the mark, they'll have, they'll have uh, that um, come upon their flesh. We talked about this other Sunday, actually, in church, in uh, Sunday morning service when we did an overview of the tribulation. Verse 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people. They shall say, The Lord is my God. So one-third of however much the population is in the tribulation, one-third of them will survive, and they will be what we call the remnant. And Revelation 12, verse 17 speaks of those um, that go to, to the, excuse me, yeah, 12, 17, speaks of those who flee from the Antichrist to the mountains, and they are spared, and, um, and they get away from him. And so there will be survivors. And we call that, we use the word remnant in Scripture. And, and, it, and it especially here refers to those that will survive the tribulation. All right, if you're in chapter 12 um, of Zechariah, right next door. And then we're going to go to 14. This speaks of the battle at the end of the tribulation. When Jesus comes back, uh, at some point, once he comes back, there will be this, this great big battle. Uh, 12, 9, and then we'll go to 14, 2, and 3. And it shall come to pass in that day, remember we said our key phrase is that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So the Antichrist and his forces will diverge on Jerusalem to try to destroy um, the, uh, the Jews. And again, as we said, a third of them will survive. Zechariah 14, verse, uh, I've got 2 and 3, but let's start at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So that speaks of a great battle coming when he comes back, and one of the descriptions is in Revelation 16 of that battle, that very battle. 
and it's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's fought in a valley called Megiddo, right outside of Jerusalem. Look at, um, well, Zephaniah is a re another reference to that um, battle. Uh, three eight. If you want, we'll actually look at it next week, Lord willing, uh, when we look at Zephaniah. So we'll skip that for time's sake tonight and pick that Zephaniah reference up next week. But Revelation sixteen, starting at verse twelve, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now that's the river between Israel and Iraq, Iran area. The great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, the way the kings of the east might be prepared. So whoever these kings, these countries from the east coming in could be China, could be whoever comes in, they'll come through to Jerusalem on foot and probably tanks and come across that dried up river. Verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Of course, uh, the dragon we know in chapter 12 is, is uh, Satan himself. And out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them into the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keep his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here it is, verse 16. And he gathered them together in a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. So that is one of the descriptions in Revelation of when Jesus comes back and the battle with the Antichrist and his forces, and one-third of Israel will be spared. They'll be saved. They'll be delivered at the end of the tribulation. Um, so we're getting close to out of time here. Chapter 14, verse 16 to 21, talks about uh, some verses about the millennial reign of Christ. Um, get back over here to this. Just read a few of these. We don't really have time for to finish all this out. So if you want to write these down and look at them, chapter 14, verse 16 to 21, if you're listening on the, on the recording, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So there will be those in the tribulation, Gentiles, who um, helped Israel in the tribulation and uh, were friends to them and helped them, and they lived through it also. It says they'll go up to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, um, during the millennial reign of Christ. Verse 17, it shall be whoso will not come up the families of the earth in Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So you don't go up to worship, you don't get rain. Maybe that's where they'll say in paying the preacher, you know, when it rains or when it don't rain or whatever. Maybe that's where that comes from. Um, this shall be the punishment of Egypt. But anyway, it mentions the Feast of Tabernacles. So during the, during the millennium, there will be some of the feasts that come back um, as part of worship. But they're not for salvation. Of course, they weren't in the Old Testament. Uh, Passover was just that they believed the Lord, you know, they, they, and they um, had the blood of the Lamb. But at least the Feast of Tabernacles will be restored because the Feast of Tabernacles, that's uh, eight days uh, mid to late September. And that's where they, they, they make the, what we'd call them tents. They had these booths, these tents they dwell in during that time. Uh, they had their camping season, I guess. And they would have their tents that they would dwell in during that eight days. And they would feast during that time. Well, that feast will be repeated in the millennium. And so the scripture says here that um, verse 20 and 21, it mentions that there'll be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And so there will be worship 
uh, in various ways, and part of it will be the feast, keeping the Feast of the Tabernacles. Colossians 2 says that the feasts of the Old Testament are a shadow of things to come. So they will happen, or at least that feast will happen again in the millennium. 3.8, Jesus is seen as the branch. We read that passage a while ago uh, when it talked about Joshua, the high priest, and then he's the stone that removes iniquity in chapter 3, verse 9. And then we saw already uh, in 9.9 and 14.4 the coming king. 9.9 is when he, it's, it's the prophecy of him coming in the first time when they waved the palm branches. Remember he rode upon the ass, the colt, the foal of an ass. And then 14.4 is about his return, um, second time, the second coming. Chapter 11, verse 12, he's the one that sold for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, the, the prophecy there of that happening is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. He was the one who was sold for those 30 pieces by Judas. Then 12.10, we looked at that a while ago, to look on him who was pierced. He was the one who was pierced. 13.6 talks about the one who was wounded. And then 13, I didn't put the verse down there. I think it's supposed to be 7. Is a shepherd that, that was smite the shepherd and the sheep was scattered. So he's the one wounded and he's a shepherd that is smitten. Let me look this up. See if I can get this for you. Those of you who are writing them down so I don't forget. The one that's wounded... Is 13.6, smite the shepherd, that's 13.7. We saw that a few minutes ago. So he's seen several times in the, uh, in the book of Zechariah. So even the, you know, some of the, those visions that Zechariah got that may be a little hard to understand for us, for, for me, um, we at least see these pictures here of Jesus and who he is. All right, I'll back that up if you're still writing those, of who he is. All right, we'll stop with Zechariah there. Man, there's a lot of stuff in there. Woo, a lot in there. Daniel's 12 chapters and... It's got a lot too, but man, Zechariah's 14. There's a lot in there. So any questions or any input for we go? I know I gave you a lot tonight, but there's always notes or references or listen to it again. Can you reverse that slide to the one before? Sure will. I missed all of that. Thank yeah. you. 3.8 is a branch. 3.9 is a stone that removed iniquity. And uh, the 19.9 and 14.4 is the coming king. Um, the stone, he's called the cornerstone, also chief cornerstone in another place. So, all right, any questions or any input or anything? Lot and Zechariah. So, Lord, Lord willing, next week, if you back up a couple of uh, books, uh, there is Zephaniah, which is right before Haggai. I remember we looked at it um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we added it with another book. So, we'll be looking at Zephaniah. It has three chapters. And Malachi is the very last one. It's right after Zechariah. It has four chapters in it. And um, as we'll see when we look at Malachi, it was the very last book written before um, what we call the end of the Old. It was the end of the Old Testament. So it was roughly uh, 400-something years you know, B.C. before Christ. And then that will be the end of the Old Testament. So... We started this in January, and we might have missed a couple of weeks for this or that, but we've made it, it's taken this long to get through 30, next week will be 38 and 39, yep, so, yep, books, so, all right, anything else? Well, let's stay in closing prayer, we'll dismiss, and um, hope you have a good night, safe trip home, it's getting dark earlier, that's for sure. Thank you, Lord, for your word, there is just so much in there, and tonight, Lord, we've seen a lot of things, and, and, uh, Zechariah, and uh, we know the things that we saw that we can look at and the fulfillment in the New Testament. 
of your son coming the first or second time. And we thank you that those prophecies um, were fulfilled, and there's some yet to be fulfilled that we looked at tonight that will, will come to pass. And because the ones that will, will fulfill the first time he came, we can have the absolute assurance that you're going to fulfill the others uh, when he comes back the next time. Because just as you keep your word, uh, you've kept it in the past, and you keep it now, you'll keep it in the future. And we can trust in it. And Lord, prophecy helps us to understand um, the, the absolute trust in your word and your truth. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight and keep us safe. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.